everyone, and welcome back to A Theater Near You. I am your host, Chris Randazzo, and I'm joined this evening by the always reasonable guy, Paul Giroux. That's what they say. I'm always reasonable. And Pork Chop Express driver, Sean Doyle. It's like I told my last wife, never drive faster than I can see. <laughs> this month's letter was B, and we automatically went with Sean's very favorite movie, Big Trouble in Little China, a movie that I had never seen before. Did it live up to the hype? How many Mortal Kombat characters were directly inspired by this film? Let's find out. But first, gentlemen, I had a situation last week. Was it last week or before that? I, I don't remember. So I'm sitting in the living room, having a good time, playing a video game. John comes, not John, my son, for anyone listening. Uh, he walks into the living room and he's got a really upset look on his face. And I'm like, what's, what's going on, buddy? He's like, well, I used too much toilet paper. And, and the, I, I couldn't get the toilet to flush. But I kept trying, and then like water started coming out, like like a lot of it. So so I I I put some towels down, but but they didn't soak it up. Wait wait. And I tried again, and I flushed again, and more water came out. Are you telling me was, that we had the same thing happen this month? <gasps> what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you go first. Go ahead. <laughs> So, you know, I go into the bathroom and he's got like a softball sized wad of toilet paper just stuffed in there. <laughs> and, and like the two tiny hand towels on the floor sopping wet and just like toilet water everywhere. It got into the air conditioning vent. So, Sean, if you smell the smell of stale water, which I've been working on getting rid of, that's where that came from. So every time I walked down my stairs to get into the basement, she, he was so upset. He was, I was like, don't worry, guy. It's all right. But just ne next time, use less toilet paper. And like the first time it doesn't work, let somebody know. <laughs> Maybe like, don't keep flushing. Why is it that all these kids do this? Like, why did they create like a bird's nest of toilet paper with their like turds as eggs right in the middle and then think they can flush it down? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. I, he was so scared. He thought he was in, like, huge trouble. I'm like, don't worry about it, man. It, it, it's okay. Just, you know, don't do this again. And I'm mopping up all this shit water. And <laughs> it's just like, God damn it, this is not what I wanted to do with my day. And yeah. the smell just will not go away because the water, I don't know how much water made it down the air conditioning vent, but, like, some definitely did. And there's still this stale water smell permeating my basement this area which is bothersome uh, unfortunately i'm i might have you beat um uh so this was this was probably closer to last time we recorded this was probably like almost a month ago in fact i i i, I guess it must be news to you that i'm saying this so i guess it wasn't last month when we recorded because i obviously would have told this story but um yeah uh nate came home from school uh, he must have only been home alone for like an hour and a half. Like, I, I, I had to work late that night, and I think Sherry had a, a doctor's appointment. So, like, you know, she she got home not that long after he got home, but like, I'd say he must have been home for like an hour and a half tops. In that time, he managed to 
crap in the toilet. For, for the list for the listeners at home, Paul's kid is only six years old, so he's a bad parent. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make the people think I'm a negligent father. <laughs> no, he's uh he's he's 11. Um and uh he yeah, so he um he uh uh clogged the toilet um a, a, and flushed it and it, you know, it uh, same thing. Um but that toilet up there runs. Um and I seem to be the only one in the house that can hear it, right? Like We'll be sitting in the basement and I'm like, the toilet's running. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, somebody go up and jiggle the handle. That toilet is running. I hear it. Um, so toilet was clogged. It kept running. And uh, in that hour and a half, he managed to flood the entire upstairs bathroom, uh, went down uh, into the kitchen, um, went through the kitchen into the basement, and then dripped directly on the couch in the basement. Um oh. so uh I had to I had to replace a bunch of ceiling tiles in the basement. That was the easy part, although one of them had a light in it and I had to like cut the hole for the light and definitely does not look as good as it used to. And then uh you know, I like I felt like this was a pain in the butt, but like I guess I should count myself lucky that the couch is modular, that like the couch is like a bunch of Legos that you put together because like mm. we actually took apart the couch and then we had to like wash all the covers and then we had to shampoo all the pieces and like set them outside to dry and then like put the couch back together. So um and then uh the other thing I did was I I got a new toilet up there because I was like I was like maybe this is overkill, but like I don't ever want this to happen again. <laughs> it's time for the extra wide. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the old toilet didn't have a shutoff valve. So, um, you know, like, like that, how that, that toilet was like probably original to the house. Um, so like I was annoyed that he didn't like call me, you know, like as water was dripping through my house <laughs> and onto three floors that he didn't just call me and go like, dad, what do I do? But I guess even if he did, I wouldn't have been able to tell him what to do because there was no shutoff valve. I would have had to be like, take the lid off the back of the thing, stick your hand. <laughs> that would have been a, would have been an interesting conversation. <laughs> Oddly enough, the same exact thing happened to me, and I don't have any kids. <laughs> you just had just a some stranger dumps. wandered into your house. <laughs> <laughs> massive dumps and no understanding of how plumbing works. No, the same thing did not happen to me. Again, because no kids, so I get to avoid that that scenario. Sean has famously huge turds. Huge <laughs> <laughs> rack. Uh, so anyway, what's going on with you guys that's not turd related? You know what I'm going to say. You know no, we what don't. I'm going to say. <laughs> So I went to something very interesting just a few days ago. Do you want to know what it was? What was it, Sean? Where were you? It was witchcraft. I went to witchcraft again. It was in the woods. I went with Chris's wife. We had a grand time. We drank a lot of beer, and it was lovely. Can Dante you explain was... to me a little bit more about what witchcraft is? Because I feel like I've heard the story from Karen several times, but I don't really understand what it is. It's because you don't listen to your wife. Let's be honest. <laughs> 
So witchcraft is held in Hamilton every year around Halloween time. And basically uh, all the local breweries, about eh, probably about 40 or 50 local breweries come and set up little tents and maybe a dozen local distilleries, local wineries, maybe one or two of them, a couple other things, cideries or whatever. And they set up and you basically pay to get in. They give you this little beer mug. And you go around and all the beer is free. So you just uh, drink as much as you want. You go to each place. It's like a quarter of a beer they give you. But you could just keep going back if you really wanted. But there's so many different beers to try. Why would you? Huh. Um, so then you wander around the woods in costume with a bunch of other drunk knuckleheads. And you drink a lot of beer. And there's a bunch of food trucks there. So you eat a bunch of food. Uh, and then they have like different events going on, like, uh, you know, pie eating contests and drag shows and they've got fire dancers and there's like a DJ up on a stage and the whole thing's out in Hamilton, out in the woods by some lake at a campground. Uh, and it's a lot of fun every year. And it occurred to me now that it's two days. So, uh, I don't know if it was last year or maybe it was two years ago. I went and Dante from Clerks was there and he, he hosted the pie eating contest. And we talked about this on the the podcast uh that i got to be in it was a whole thing and it seemed like a fever dream the next day you're like did dante hand me 47 dollars after he made me eat two pies that can't be right that's not a sentence <laughs> uh but he wasn't there this year and then it occurs to me you know what it's two days it's friday night and saturday night and i'm betting he because he's still on their website i'm betting he does one night each year and I must have gone to the night that he did that year. And it was a little rainy on Saturday, so I'm betting he opted to do Friday. But yeah, it was a good time. And uh, for any listeners in the area, I highly recommend uh, highly recommend it, especially if you enjoy beer. All right. I'm glad it's a real thing that exists because, like, Sean getting drunk in the woods, that just sounds like a Tuesday. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad this was an actual event that you could plug. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, but you know what else was fun? On the way up, so we rented a Jitney. It's not very far. It's just far enough that it's a real pain. Like, it's an expensive ticket because it's all you can drink. So then you don't want to have a designated driver, and there's no designated driver ticket, which they should probably start that and give you a different color wristband or whatever, but whatever. So there's, you, you can't really do a designated driver. I mean, you could, but the person would be paying through the nose for nothing. Uh, so we rented Jitney. Uh, and, you know, you get... 14 people in a jitney and everybody throws in it's not too bad um on the way up keith knew some guy who was having a pig roast that day so we just rolled up to this guy's house and 14 of us in costume got out on this guy's lawn out of a jitney and then into his backyard and just started <laughs> ravaging this roasted pig and this was not the big party Keith told us it was going to be. I think we doubled the size of it. It was like a dozen people sitting around eating some roasted pig. Uh, so then all of a sudden it was 28 people and half of them were in costume and a little drunk and loud. Uh, and the other ones were having a nice time, uh, like a nice, quiet, quaint, you know, so like a, like a barbecue. The way that you just described your your interaction with Dante about the pie eating contest and being like, did Dante really hand me forty seven dollars for eating two pies? Everybody at that party is going to act the same way about twelve people showing up in costume, eating all the pig, and then rolling out in a jitney. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm glad I could bring that to them. Then I'm hoping that was a positive interaction. <laughs> Did that, so, yeah. did that just happen? Did 12 people in costume just roll up in a jitney and eat all our pig? <laughs> That's wonderful. So, I mean, I guess we're burying the lead intentionally here, but we all got to go see The State. MTV's The State. 
the nascent Peter Panism of the state, live on stage. Negative two stars. That's two stars less than no stars at all. <laughs> it was amazing. I uh, give it all the stars. Yeah, it was magical. And we I got to see it. it at where they filmed it. Yeah, we went to a Palladium? what the heck was that theater called? Palladium. Right? Palladium, Palladium Theater. It didn't used to be called that, but it was in Times Square where they used to film the uh, the same building they used to film the show in. And it was a really, it was a super fun experience getting there and and all that other business. But it was also a just really fun to the, the whole the show itself was great seeing most of them on stage performing these sketches the new sketches were really funny the old sketches uh translated better than i expected to uh you know to, to, to a stage thing instead of a sketch comedy on a tv show uh like the the, the way they adapted the taco thing for the oh god that one went so well <laughs> you know which one you know it... So I, I shouldn't sit here and nitpick. I had a great time. The show was amazing. It was like eight of the 11 cast members, and they, they did a lot of your, your favorites, and they tweaked some of them, and they did some new stuff, and it was a great show, and I can't say enough that if you have the opportunity to go see it, go see it. I'll tell you what, though. You just said something, and the one thing that jumped out at me, the one skit that I don't think they picked the right skit, was the bearded man of Space Station Eleven, mm. and I love that skit. That's one of my favorites, but that didn't land with me quite as hard as I wanted it to. Because a lot of, and it occurred to me while it was happening why it wasn't. Because I, we didn't have great seats; we were pretty far back. Yeah, uh, a lot of that skit is real subtle, and it's the facial it's the expressions. Facial expressions, and you just in an audience, unless you're in the front row, that one doesn't deliver on the stage. Every other skit they picked, uh, I I feel like they. They just, the, the fact that I was far back and couldn't make out every facial expression didn't matter. They didn't rely on that for the humor in the other skits. But that one, I was like, uh, this one, this one was not a good choice for the stage. Yeah. What I, I, bugged me about that one was that it was different people. Like that had, I think both Ben and Todd in it were, uh, kind of main characters in that one. And it was weird seeing that, seeing, <clears throat> seeing different folks doing that yeah i i think you're i think you're totally right about that um uh i, I mean to quote what they said that you know when they opened the show they said we're gonna do some new stuff we're gonna do some old stuff and then we're gonna do some new stuff with old characters um which that stuff was brilliant like the 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 callbacks the yeah the callbacks to the oh. old characters with the new material was like so funny um but i think the you know the old stuff they did i felt it seemed like it was like we have to deliver the hits we have to deliver the favorites and we're gonna do that with with all the cast members or not you know um mm -hmm. which i think is also why they they threw in that uh that that doug thing you know that like wasn't really right. the yeah, sketch they had to do doug you didn't have show walter but like you know they wanted to at least do a nod to doug so and, and but I think that did land right. So their nod to Doug, I think that you know, uh, and and Ken Marino, uh, his his interactions with the person they pulled out of the audience is just phenomenal. Uh, and I, I think that that skit did land. And you're right; they were just trying to shoehorn in some sort of nod to Doug because it's one of their most popular characters. But but I think they did it real well. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the I think the new one that I laughed at the hardest was the. Uh... The mafia guys that got the cookie puss cake 
for the main man. <laughs> now, that, that was a great skit. The uh, the fifties porno was cracking me up. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the coach was hands down my favorite. Coach was good. That was just the, absolutely hysterical. I think my favorite thing I saw might have been the Barry and Levon selling me a reverse mortgage. Uh, <laughs> that one just like you saw Barry and Levon came out and then like they 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 revved you up like they were going to do the pudding. Not that they didn't have some other options. It was the love seat and you know the couple other bits they did, but the uh, the reverse mortgages. They just there was a couple real just brilliant lines in there. When they... So I've never had a cookie puss before. Oh, really? I'm not sure if I have. If I have, it's been a very long time. Fudgy the Whale I've had. I uh, did not that know. That was the other one they referenced in there. I did not know what this looked like. I can't tell what this is supposed to be. They it's, made a joke about that. It's like an octopus guy, right? Cookie puss? I think it's a... Is that supposed to be an octopus or a I face? Have, it looks like... I have no idea. It looks kind of like a face to me. But it also looks like it's got two little hands here. So doesn't yeah. say what it is. Cookie Puss and Fudgy the Whale are Carvel, and like, uh-huh. admittedly, they are not as popular in our area as they are in other areas. Like, Carvel is a lot bigger in New York, and Sherry, like, on Long Island, like, Carvel was like a fixture. Like, her and her brothers are always like quoting the Carvel commercials and they're always like, you know, like, oh, is Carvel still open? Could we like, could we get this? Could we get that? Like whatever the like little, you know, the little desserts are, you know, and then they're always like, should we get a fudgy? Maybe we should get a fudgy. And I'm like, what? Like, what's up with you guys? Like, But like, I don't, for us, I don't think that Carvel was as big a, big a thing in our area. Which no. is interesting because I'm on their website and New Jersey has the second most number of carvel locations so up near uh up near trenton uh in that area when i was living up that way there are a lot of carvels um but yeah down by us we had dairy queen and we had friendlies when right we were yeah friendlies were really big down here but we did not have carvel i can't even imagine where one like anywhere in the epsican northfield there used to be one out in northfield i remember we used to get there? my sister's birthday cakes out in the rickle center Oh, oh, yeah. I remember the Rickles Center. There I didn't a, know there was a Carvel. There was yeah. a Carvel in there. We used to get my sister's birthday cakes there for uh, a number of years because she loved Carvel uh, birthday cakes. But yeah, there's 194 in New York and then 49 in New Jersey, and that's the second highest one, 49. The... They're probably all in North Jersey. It looks like a lot of them are. I'm not seeing a... We always got the Dairy Queen ice cream cakes, which didn't look nearly as interesting or fun. So for a little kid, I'm assuming Carvel was way better. But Dairy Queen had that crunch stuff in the middle. Oh, the crunchies. And Carvel has those too. How do they? Because, God, that was my favorite. The cr- crunchies and the ice cream. But you can still get Carvel cakes. Like, they have them at ShopRite. You can get Carvel cakes. Right, right, right. They're pre-made ones, obviously, but... I think that's where I had Fudgy the Whale from, because I can't imagine where they would have been bought from. How often do you guys still go to Dairy Queen? More often than I'd like. About a week and a half ago? So we... I prefer to go to Lindy Hobbs, but, you know, uh, the, the kids have, like, a, our, the school does stuff through the Dairy Queen, like, fundraising stuff through Dairy Queen. So we go there we, for those periodically. We have a Dairy Queen right around the corner for me. Like, I could walk to it. Like, I could drive to it in under a minute, you know, if it's, like... If it's like, hey, it's, you know, it's nine o'clock and ice cream things are closing. Like, I could just, like, zip right around the corner to the Dairy Queen if I wanted something. But, like, I hate it. Like, I will I will drive 
I will drive the extra like half a mile to Rita's because like, I don't know, everybody that, that goes to the Dairy Queen is just such an asshole. Like I have to like, <laughs> I have to like wait behind like 10 people smoking cigarettes and like six people that like refuse to acknowledge that there's one line and that they're going to like hit that other window. Like as if there's not like 10 people all waiting at the same place for the same goddamn ice cream, you know? And then like, I also can't figure out why you buy it. And then they have to like turn it over in front of you. Like, like, that's when, a gimmick to show you it doesn't fall out of the cup. What am I supposed to do? Be like, sorcery! I've never <laughs> seen an upside-down ice cream before. What is this That's, magic? It's not for you, Paul. It's for the assholes. Because if they don't do that to those assholes in line in front of you, and like, you didn't turn this over. Where's my? Give me my free ice cream. Like... That's what that's for. They have to do that to everybody because they made a guarantee at some point and people are going to hold them to it in hopes of getting free ice cream. So I love the Dairy Queen where I use, well, I, I love Dairy Queen. Uh, I, mean, I love Lindy Hops. I, I love all ice cream, junk food, you name it. I'm in. But the, <laughs> uh, the Dairy Queen, not where I just was living up in East Windsor, uh, but the place I lived before that, I'm not going to say the name of the town on purpose because I don't want to rat these people out. <laughs> they were open all year round, dead of winter, three foot of snow on the ground. Middle of the night, just doesn't matter. One in the morning, I would stop there and get ice cream. And they were always gave me a look like, dude, why are you buying ice cream? Because I'm pretty sure they were just selling weed, right? <laughs> like that's why they were open all year round. And that's why they were open at midnight. But the sign was on, so I would stop and I don't want weed, but I do want a giant ice cream sundae at midnight on a Thursday in the middle of January. And they would give it to me, begrudgingly, but they would. So I don't want to rat them out because I don't want them to stop doing it just in case I need that in the middle of the night. It's like an hour drive from me now, but I might still do that. But yeah, that's that's probably why Dairy Queen is high up on my list because they'll serve me late in the cold. At night, and I love it. That's I like the Dairy Queen around here good enough, and I like I like me a good blizzard. I've also learned that getting a mini blizzard is the way to go, because I feel like a small is just kind of a ridiculous amount of ice cream still, uh, but a mini blizzard is like just the right amount of ice cream, and it's not very expensive. But I just, I just prefer Lindy Hops, because I'm, I don't know, snob, I guess. I get the extra large... <laughs> See, I would get the extra large, but then I'd eat it, and you don't gain weight the way I do, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying very hard, trying, trying very hard to 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 keep keep things in order over here. Well, and if, I do walk there. It's probably well yeah, three quarters of a mile. I take the dog, take a walk, get my blizzard, take a walk back. By the time I get home, the extra large is empty. But but I got a good walk in. Wait, That's so you good. you walk to this place that sells you ice cream at one a.m. Uh, that was at my old place, uh, and no, because I wouldn't walk across that highway if I could avoid it. I would drive to that one. It wasn't far from my old apartment, but it, like it was probably only half a mile, three quarters of a mile. Where I am now, down here near Chris, I'm about three quarters of a mile from the Dairy Queen. But this one's a regular Dairy Queen. This one closes in the winter. Uh, it keeps regular hours. I don't think they're selling drugs out of the bag. I think they're just selling ice cream. I'm just, I'm just picturing all these people being like... Ugh, it's the guy again that wants ice cream. 
This guy's ridiculous. Can't we just give you some weed, please? (laughs) Dude, there's snow on the ground. It's the middle of the night. You're you're hankering for a snack. You need the weed. I'll eat ice cream all year round. I don't give a shit. That always makes me sad when when Dairy Queen closes. It's like, I get you're not going to make as much money, but like, do people not want ice cream in the winter? Because I buy ice cream in the all winter long. I just have it in my house. You're preaching to the choir, man. I'm on your team. I will say this. Uh, Klondike bars a bit on sale. And uh, yeah, the, the Klondike with the Reese's peanut butter cup, they must have overproduced them. They're on sale at ShopRite. They're at the dollar store. Really? You can get a six pack of them for like three bucks. I don't know why things at the dollar store don't cost a dollar anymore, but whatever. The, uh, it's yeah, still a good deal. Me too. So I've been eating those like for the last like two weeks. Yeah, those are good. This week I I baked some cookies. I did a pretty good job with chocolate chip cookies this week. Not my not my finest hour. I didn't let the butter cool, and that was my that was my big mistake. I didn't let the butter cool long enough, and so the the cookies got flat. But they are still soft, and they are very delicious. That's good. That's good. We've gotten way off track. <laughs> Or are we exactly on track? Because this is exactly what we should be talking about. It's 100% spot on. So, yeah, the state was a lot of fun. And uh, I guess we should start talking about the movie, unless anybody else has anything else pressing we want to we wanna discuss, Can bring we... to the table. Uh, I... Oh, wait, the, the, the fun thing that happened in line. Right, so we're at the state, th- we're at the state show, and we go to the merch table. Nope, you've, you've started the story wrong. Well, maybe you haven't. You've got to talk about the car ride up talking about this. But maybe you're going to do that after. Maybe I've. Maybe you're going to Quentin Tarantino it. Go ahead. Go ahead are and we, tell your story. Are we talking about it in the car ride up? How do, how do you know, Sean? Was, you weren't, you weren't with in the car. Yeah, in you the weren't car. in the car. Yeah, no, we weren't really talking about this in the car ride up. Um, we, uh, so, th- we get there, and then... A bunch of people, a handful of our group, go to get in line at the uh, the merch merch stand, and then I hang back, and then I was like, "All right, screw it, I'm going going to the merch table merch table." Because how often do you see the state merchandise? I should get something, even though it's probably going to be really expensive. So I'm waiting in line, but there's like the line is this kind of just jumbled mass, and we weren't sure if there were people waiting in line to get through the door or to get in line for merch. And this girl comes up behind me and asks, you know, "Is this the line for merch?" And I said, "I sure hope so." And because I love talking to strangers, I struck up a conversation. And so the two of us were just talking about the state, having a grand old time, and we eventually got to quoting a bunch of episodes, and then we started talking about how uh, uh, upsetting it was that uh, we were glad the DVDs existed, but we were sad that, like, the sketches were missing the music, and then we started going through all the different sketches that we remember specific music cues from and having a good laugh about that. And then this guy from behind us says, I overheard what you were talking about. You guys deserve this. And he gave me a thumb drive. And he basically did to the state what I had been doing to Syphil and Ollie recently, where he went through and found the best possible copies he could uh, and added the correct... I don't know what he did exactly to add the audio or if he just cleaned up existing footage or whatever, but it all... He has the full series of the state, including the sketches and stickers VHS tape, all of it on a thumb drive with all the correct uh, licensed music still in it. Uh, and he was just giving out these thumb drives that he went to the previous state show and he just brought like a small handful, like five or six to this show to give out to people that he, you know, thought deserved it or whatever. And so he gave one to me and then he gave one to that girl. And uh, he was like, you guys just listen to your conversation. You clearly will appreciate this. 
And so I, like, kind of freaked out a little bit and shook his hand, and then I went to the rest of our crew that was right in front of us, like, you, look at this, this is a thing, thank this guy! And everybody thanked him, and it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. So I brought the thumb drive home, and sure as hell, it was exactly what he said it was. It is, it's got everything on it, it's, it looks great, uh, as good as it can, uh, it doesn't look like cheap VHS rips from the little of it that I've actually watched so far, but it's, uh, it's nice, and it all sounds exactly the way it's supposed to. It was kind of a, kind of a magical experience. So, the, the craziest thing about you, uh, you know, you and this guy that, that gave you the, the thumb drives full of state stuff, uh, the thumb drives that, you know, didn't crash your computer and put a virus on your whole house. Um, I was sure it was going to be that guy naked dancing. <laughs> I was sure of it. Well, so the thing that was weird is like, Sean and I had like just made friends with that guy in the bathroom, right? So <laughs> before we got to the Where show, I like to make friends with other men. <laughs> well, you know, when you're at a state show, that's where you make friends with people in the bathroom. Um, I mean, if you were making friends with women in that bathroom, it'd be a little bit, a little bit weirder. So, so you know, before we before we took the train over from Jersey City, when when you know I got there an hour before you guys, uh, you know I. I hung out in, in Sean's swanky office for a little while, and then, like, you know, Sean and I, like, traversed the uh, the weird, dilapidated neighborhood and, uh, you know, frequented a bodega and bought some stuff and whatever, and then we are like, all right, we're going to get some food, and we sat down at this, like, Spanish restaurant, and I just got, like a like, a stack of rice and beans and, like, pork and stuff, and, like... Halfway through it, I was like, this this is bad. This is not going to go good for me tonight. <laughs> so as soon as we got to the show, I was like, I'm going to destroy this bathroom. <laughs> so, so I was like, I was like, I don't I don't like I don't want this to ruin the show for me. I'm going to I'm going to spend the time now. So, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the bathroom. I take care of business. You know, I, I, I get up out of the stall and then I look down the way and like Sean standing in the entrance just like with this perplexed look on his face, like just like what's happening, and like I look at Sean and I'm like, "What's going on?" And then Sean's like, "Where's the sinks?" And then I'm like, "Where are the sinks?" Like it was, it was like a row of toilet stalls and a row of urinals, and we're like, "Where's the goddamn sinks?" And then we're like, instead of going back out the way we came, I was like, I was like, "What if we go this way?" And like we walked to the end, which seemed like a dead end. But then you could go around the corner and like all the sinks were on the other side. And we're like, oh, cool. Here they are. And so as we're doing that, we run into this guy and we all collectively are like, you know, where's the sinks? Oh, here's the sinks, you know? And then we're like, yeah, it seems like they're just discouraging uncleanliness. Like, <laughs> like they want to hide this. So you just. You, In a post-COVID you, world, they should be supporting the hand washing, right? Or at least throw up a sign. Like, there are sinks around this this optical illusion of a corner. Like, because the other guy came out, he was confused too. We're all looking around like, where are the sinks? I went back out the door we came in. Like, oh, I, I took a leak. I didn't pee on my hands. It was all right. I could have just moved on with life if I had to. But I was like, you know, I don't know. We wash my hands. I don't know. Yeah, so we're we're getting real chummy with this guy as we walk around the corner, and then you know, as we're all washing our hands, we're like, you know, laughing and and like cracking jokes about you know the the, the palladium discouraging uncleanliness, <laughs> encouraging uncleanliness, and then um you know, and so 
like we walk away and we're like, yeah, I think that guy's our best friend now, you know, <laughs> and, and then you're in line with him. And I'm like, wait, why? Like, why is Chris singing the praises of the bathroom guy? And then I was yeah, like, why is Chris talking to the bathroom guy? Do we know the bathroom guy? Because he seemed like one of us. I was like, when we were talking about the bathroom, I was like, do we know this guy? I was like, nah, he's probably he's just he's somebody who watches the state that puts him in the right age frame. And he's, you know, you know, a little dorky. I was like, yep, yeah, this is our type of person, but I don't know him. But then Chris was talking to him and I was like, the hell's happening? But I think that's the thing about going to a show like that. Like, it doesn't matter if you've never met these people before. You are bonded together by a thing that you all loved collectively and was very important to you. Important enough to trek out to Times Square on a Monday night, you know, like, like 30 years later. Yeah. You like, you were going to be friends with that guy that, that you were looking for the sync with. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm glad God, it, I hope he's listening. Glad I hope he, he's one of our 10 listeners. I know, right? <laughs> hope he somehow finds this show. Wild. Should ask him to join us. <laughs> if you're listening, sir, just reach out. You can join the podcast now. I just absolutely love that he found that he found us and like he's here's this project I did where I was correcting all this this show. I'm like, I just did that to Syphil and Ollie. <laughs> what are the odds that the two of us would meet each other? I, I just actually, fantastic. I actually can't wait to watch the I can't wait to watch the stuff that you got from that because they're like for the most part the the DVDs don't bother me. Like I'm I'm happy to be able to watch the state, you know, for like years it was just a thing that felt like it was lost to time so when the the dvds came out it was like oh this is amazing you know but yeah there are certain ones where i go like oh it's just not the same and the the one that always uh, the the one that always strikes me the most is the the sketch about pants where it's it's we like we were just talking about that yeah. before <laughs> the show man. Have you we, 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 we were talking about the skits that, that don't care like you're right most of the skits are fine with the, the updated music, it's not the end of the world, but there's a handful that really just the music took them to the next level. And Chris pointed out like one, or he pointed out the Guns N' Roses this, and yeah, Flea this, one. the Slash, like right. not having the Guns N' Roses music just And then I was like, the one that, so the one that kills me is the pants one. He was like, hell yeah, the pants one falls apart without it. I can't even, I can't watch it. Yeah. I can't watch it. Um, I, I, was, I also mentioned the one with the, the, undercover kindergarten guy with all the smashing pumpkins music that was another one that always stuck with me and like watching a handful of these episodes off this jump driver earlier i was like i didn't realize how much a lot of this stuff bothered me until i was watching it I was like, and this really does this really does sting without that so i'm really glad really glad to have it whoever you are mystery man who introduced himself but i'm terrible with names and an awful person uh thank you for this jump drive i will share it around to all of my friends and loved ones who give a shit and uh you're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> to Mystery Man. <laughs> we salute you. All right. Well, I guess let's uh let's start talking about uh start talking about this movie. If we must. If we must. Yeah, if you can twist my arm. Uh let's see. I'll go over the basics here. Big Trouble in Little China was released on July 2nd, 1986, and was distributed by 20th Century Fox. It was directed by John Carpenter and co-written by Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. Carpenter's other works include Escape from L.A., Halloween, and The Thing, another movie we covered on this very podcast. Goldman's other works include Total Recall, Navy Seals, and losing a lawsuit against Disney over the name Zootopia. 
David Weinstein seems to have only worked on this movie and nothing else. The movie stars Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, and James Hong. It tells the story of a truck driver who inexplicably finds himself in the center of a kung fu movie where he has to fight an ancient sorcerer to save his friend's fiance. Sean, why don't you tell everyone how, uh, how we watched this one? Oh, we had a great time watching this one. We went over to my older sister's house. She's got this big, giant, inflatable screen that goes up in her backyard on one side of the pool. And then we sat on the other side of the pool, and they got this big projector and a sound bar. And no subwoofer. That really ruined the whole experience because the subwoofer wasn't working. That's, There's a lot of effort being put into getting that subwoofer working. working my, in it. my brother-in-law was very... Very adamant about getting the subwoofer to work, and he, he couldn't get it, so that part didn't work. But and he spent so much time on that subwoofer, he would not correct the, uh, the, uh, the, the aspect ratio, which I went back there and did myself. Chris had to go fix the aspect ratio. But once we got it all up and running, it was a brilliant outdoor theatrical experience. I don't know why they don't set that stuff up more. It's a little bit of work to set it all up, but it's such a nice experience. And as a snack, we, we had a fitting uh, array of Chinese foods. All a bunch. We boarded a bunch of different stuff. So we had some General Tso's chicken and steamed dumplings. I don't remember what everybody ordered, but you know, a bunch of Chinese food to go along with the movie. Yeah, uh, like this movie, uh, Chinese food is not something that I ever really partake in and have not tried much of. Uh, and for some reason, just in this particular situation, I was like, you know what? I'm into this. Let's let's do it. I'll give some stuff a try. Uh, and it was delicious. I had an egg roll and I had some dumplings, and they oh. were. Uh, they were divine. I was very, very pleased. The whole experience was wonderful. Wonderful time. Wonderful time, Mad Bio. How about you, Paul? Um, I watched it, uh, I think it was this past Sunday. Um, I watched it on the DVD, which I own, uh, like every, every person should. Um, when I turned the DVD on, it asked me if I wanted to watch it in widescreen or pan and scan, so... That should tell you a little bit about my relationship <laughs> with this movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had some chocolate pudding with some Cool Whip on it. Nice. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Had the Cool Whip. Well, um, goodness, how do we do this? <laughs> forgotten how to do this show. My brain's so all fuzzy. There's nowhere to begin and there's nowhere to end, because this is the Alpha. It is the Omega. <laughs> well, I think... The- I think Chris should, I think Chris should weigh in first here. He's the, you know. He, he, right, but, I'm the uh, big troubled virgin. Yeah, yeah. We, we popped your big troubled cherry, so, like, tell us about that. <laughs> tell, us, tell, us how, tell us how it big was for you, little Chris. Cherry. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I kind of had, like, built up in my head what I thought this movie was, uh, just based on what I had heard everybody talk about over the years. And it kind of... It kind of was and kind of wasn't what I expected. Uh, I, what I expected was um, a weird science fiction-y kung fu movie re- adjacent thing with Kurt Russell being all badass and, and uh, saving the day. Uh, what I, and that was almost what it was, but it was so much smarter than that because it was just... They took a completely insane supernatural kung fu movie... And just dropped Kurt Russell into the middle of it. And he was completely out of his depth. He was totally unprepared for all of it. And, like, he fucked up constantly. Like, he didn't superhero Superman his way. He didn't white savior his way through the whole thing. He was just, he kind of bumbled his way through it, which I thought was genius. 
Like they just completely played a, a wacky ass sci-fi kung fu movie combined with smart ass Kurt Russell and it just worked so well. It was so fun. It was so funny. It was uh the visual effects especially for the time were really cool looking. Like the costume designs were great, the characters were great. Like there was just nothing wrong with this movie. It was great. It took itself exactly as seriously as it needed to, which was like, which was just barely. And it was just, a, I, I had a ball. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I'm, I, I'm thrilled that you enjoyed it. Cause I honestly, I was like, if he hates this, I guess the podcast is over. <laughs> no, the, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you're right. It's, uh, it throws a lot of things on its side. I mean, the, the, the Wang character is obviously sidekick, but he's the competent one. He's the one who can actually fight. He's the one who, you know, takes out 10 guys, and then Kurt Russell comes back around the corner. So they make the sidekick super competent. Had Kurt Russell not shown up, he would have been the main character of this movie. And, <laughs> right, and probably <laughs> successful. I mean, he, he seemed to really have things in order. Yeah, it really would have went pretty smoothly for him. Um, but and, yeah, so and, they, and they, there's they no, do turn it on. There's no reason for Kurt Russell really to be there. Like, the, exactly. the reason is he... he <laughs> He he was playing cards uh, uh, on on a stop with his truck, and you know happened like happened to stumble into this adventure. Like there's there's no reason for him to stay. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason for him to stay, and I think what makes what makes him a hero, uh, despite his constant bungling and 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 moderate levels of incompetence, is is just that right? Like. It's just the fact that he, you know, he's a he's a reasonable guy, but he's just experienced some really unreasonable things, right? And he just rolls with it. Like that's the that's the um, the positive characteristic. It's just like no matter what gets dumped on him, he's just like, all right, now we're doing this. Let's see how it goes. You know, it's uh, I don't know, and I'm not even sure that bungling's the right word. It's just that he's completely ill prepared for this type of experience, like. They clearly established him as somebody who, you know, he's he's lived a life and anywhere outside a science fiction kung fu movie, I'm sure he can handle himself just fine. <laughs> but like all of a sudden, here's this dude who's a truck driver who I'm sure can handle himself great in a bar fight and all that other jazz going up against lightning kung fu magic. <laughs> like, of course, he's not prepared for that. So like. It it and I, I like how they handled it. They they didn't really make him come off as like a bumbling idiot so much. Like yeah, he was an overconfident '80s guy, but like it was just how could somebody possibly react to these things happening in real life in front of you? And he yeah, you're right. He just kind of rolled with it. He took it in stride. It's like well, this is crazy, but you know I'm I'm here. Let's do it. Let's do the right thing. Let's stop this. Let's stop this guy. Right. The villain was the villain was. No, Lopan. Lopan. It was Lopan. David I keep wanting to say Eggshen, but yeah. Eggshen was the other guy. But yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> you, you wanted to say Shang Tsung. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wanted to say Shang Tsung, yeah. but no, yeah. Shang Tsung's design clearly seemed very pulled from uh from from him. Yeah. Uh Raiden was definitely the lightning guy with the hat, like without a without a question. That in fact, fact they think they've actually said that in interviews. That was a the direct inspiration there. Yeah, that one's so close. It, it has lawsuit written all over it. Like, <laughs> Dude, that's a hundred percent this guy. Come on, you didn't change anything. Yeah, I think that the. Uh, I, I think you're right. Like he's 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 completely ill prepared for this experience. He he, you know, there's no reason for him to be in this in this 
world. I think I think the thing that makes it so brilliant then is that he acts like he is the hero of the movie. Like Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that that sort of like bravado like juxtaposed with him just failing at every turn, you know, like <laughs> shooting the gun and the, you know, part of the 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 archway falls on his head, you know, and or like throwing or the, doesn't he knock over all the Buddhas, um, you know, like all that stuff. Um, <laughs> he gets I, trapped under that one that one monster that he stabs. I don't. Know, I think it might have been a guy in armor. I, I don't think that one was supposed to be a monster. I'm not real sure. There was one big guy with a sword that he like he rolls back and gets the knife in the thing's gut, but then he gets trapped under him. But I I think like I think that's the thing that makes it such a such a fun movie and such a like lasting movie you know because like they could have they could have played it all for comedy they could have they could have made him a buffoon and that's not what they did they made him act like the hero um uh but fail you know and and i i like i like i i think with all this other weird stuff in the movie it's like it's like just enough of an angle to hook you in and just enough of an angle to like make it you know like give this movie the the lasting power that it has the the two other things that really uh i i mean i, I mean, this is my favorite movie so the it's part of its nostalgia i mean this hit me like i i saw this for the first time when i was pretty young and like it was you know uh it was something that i enjoyed back then because it's 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 pretty well paced it doesn't have uh it doesn't have a lot of wasted scenes there's not a lot of uh <laughs> exposition or downtime there's like one scene when they're in the chinese restaurant but even when they're doing those exposition scenes you got some and this was the first of the two things i was going to say you got some really good dialogue fast witty dialogue that whoever the screenwriter is uh is is phenomenal like they gave kurt russell a lot of memorable one-liners and even when it's not a memorable one-liner it's still and part of it's his delivery but it's still uh it's very punchy writing. It just it's moving forward, you know. It's boom, boom, boom. Um, so that's one thing that I really think uh, is huge for its staying power. The other thing is is the Kurt Russell John Carpenter combo. I'm fans of both of them, but they did three or four movies together, and the three or four movies they did together are, are three or four of my favorites. I mean, Big Trouble is my favorite movie of all time, but we already did the thing. That's a very different movie than this, but yeah. again, it's Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. They they have a they have a rapport that just comes across on camera really well. The other one, the other one that comes to mind is uh, Escape from New York. I think I'm missing one though. I think there was another. Well, and Escape um, from New York had a sequel, Escape from L.A. Escape from L.A. Um, a less right, good sequel. Did John sequel. Carpenter do Escape from L.A.? Yeah, I know Kurt did. Russell did. Yeah, he came back for that. Yep, that, which is a good movie too. Um, I think I'm still missing one. I think there was another movie they did together, but the. Uh, and that's that's a very different movie too. He plays uh, Kurt Russell plays a very different character in Escape from New York. Uh, it's not nearly as comedic as Big Trouble in Little China. I I, I do really like that movie as well. Um, but there was a, there was a three very different movies uh, with Kurt Russell being different characters in all of them. But the two of them, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, just uh, I feel like they knock it out of the park. And I gotta believe John Carpenter also did They Live. 
And although Rowdy Rowdy Piper could never be replaced in that movie, in the back of my mind, I think he, I think John Carpenter thought Kurt Russell was going to do They Live. Yeah. I think that character was originally intended for him. I think you're 100 percent right, and and especially because the co-star is is Keith David. I think he, I think he wanted, he wanted Kurt Russell and Keith David, and and then he was like, well, I'll I'll, I'll go with Rowdy Rowdy Piper. <laughs> Who does a great job? I don't mean to take that anything away from Rowdy Rowdy Piper in that movie. I love They Live as well. Uh, but yeah, I think that role was intended for Kurt Russell. Well, I have a, I think I have an interesting thread for you as far as um, this movie and, and Escape from New York. Um, so uh, so th- this, was, this was so interesting for me to watch this and uh, for the podcast. Like, um, like yes, I, this, is, this is a favorite movie of mine too. This is... Something I grew up with, something that I loved in high school, something that we we quoted a lot and had a good time with. I, like I don't know if it's my favorite movie of all time, but like I I certainly find this to be an entertaining movie. Like I love this movie; it it entertains me, it it tickles me. Like like I've I've continued to go back to this because I I do like this movie a great deal. Um, but I've never thought about why I like this movie. Like I'm uh, like doing it for the podcast. I wasn't just going to sit and enjoy the movie I've enjoyed a bunch of times. It was like me going, well, like, what is it that I like about this movie? And at a certain point in watching it, I was like, you know, I think I, I think if I'm trying to dissect this, I would say that John Carpenter has made a thing that that feels a lot like a kung fu sci-fi action movie. Uh crossed with a soap opera <laughs> um, and may, like maybe soap opera is the wrong thing but like i, I also don't want to say like a you know like a like an acting 101 class right but like <laughs> some of the like some of the dialogue and some of the scenes like do kind of border on campy you know like some of it you wanted to be like all right, come on, John. Like you didn't, you didn't want to do another take of that, you know? Um, because like, uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think um, Wang falls into this a little bit. Like some of the back and forth between Wang and 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 Jack, um, Gracie Law really falls into this. Like some of her dialogue is like, who talks this way? Like I, I think at one point she even says something like. You know me, Gracie Law, always sticking my nose where it doesn't belong. <laughs> you go like, all right, first of all, you named the lawyer Gracie Law. <laughs> as you as you started this this explaining this, my first thought was, oh, he's talking about Gracie Law, both her dialogue and her name. I mean, it's 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 over the top. Um yeah, it, well, it's and her, it's very her, her buddy, the newspaper reporter has a has a a, a a bit like that too, where they're they're talking about Lopan, and she's like the David Lopan, who you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like gives his whole story in like one you know one line, and you're like, like who like who who says these words, you know? But uh, like I I I I think it's I think it's one of those things where it's like just good enough and just bad enough that it it doesn't. Like it doesn't make it a bad movie. It kind of like adds to its scrappiness, you know. It like it like adds to its charm. It's like it's like just the right amount of camp mixed in, you know what I mean? With this 
with this thing that already has a lot of craziness. So, you know, I felt like, all right, it's like, it's partly, you know, this sci-fi kung fu action thing, and then partially like a soap opera. But then I was like, then Kurt Russell, he's in a completely different movie altogether. (laughs) (laughs) And then watching it this time, I, I had a thought about this, and then I have since had this sort of verified by the internet. So... The movie, I think the movie that Kurt Russell is in is a Western. (laughs) And what I had verified is that, uh, like, you can go on IMDb, and this is one of the the trivia things, right? So, for Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Kurt Russell based his character on John Wayne. Like, this is him sort of channeling john wayne and doing you know doing doing a uh not an impression but a character based on john wayne and then for escape from new york he based snake plissken on uh clint eastwood so oh yeah i I didn't know that second part but i did do some of my own research for the the podcast because i was like i'm just gonna watch a movie i've seen a million times uh happily watch the movie i've seen a million times again I should I should bring something more to the table. And I don't know if you found this on IMDb. This was originally, John Carpenter's original vision was this was supposed to be a Western. Uh, he tried to sell it to the studios as a period piece where it was basically Big Trouble Little China. Most of the other stuff, he was going to do like a samurai Western. It was going to be based in like, you know, uh, Little China in the Old West. And there was still most of the plot points remained the same, but it was going to be set in the old West. And Kurt Russell's character was going to, you know, be a John Wayne esque cowboy character. And the the studios shot him down. They told him no, and so he revitalized it. And he kind of took it and tweaked it and modernized it, and then they accepted it. Um, I also found out that it was a massive failure. Like this movie did not do well. And I think it's probably because of that campy stuff we're talking about. I don't think that really, I don't know if the 80s could see itself from within. Like, so in 86, people couldn't really appreciate the charm of the 80s that this movie is dripping with. Um, And I think by seeing it a few years after that, because in 80, this came out 85, 86, I was like four or five. I probably didn't see it for another couple of years. And then, uh, you know... It's one of those things, like, I saw it when I was a little kid, and I liked it because it was fun and fast-paced, and then I revisited it in high school, and it had all these great one-liners, and then you revisit it in college, and then it's dripping with 80s, and it's got the nostalgia factor, and now we're we're analyzing it now, and there's all these other things going on, so it had, it had these layers, but when it first came out in 86, I think it just kind of uh, flopped because it was a little bit campy. Uh, it didn't take itself super serious, but it wasn't quite a comedy. And I, I don't think the audience inside of, inside of the heart of the eighties could, could, uh, could really, uh, could really get all the different layers out of it. You know? Yeah. But also, how do you market helps. something like this? Like, I can't imagine this was easy to market because like, yeah, kids probably would have loved this like you and watched it for the rest of their lives. Cause it's super goofy and weird, but like especially given the time that it was coming out in, how exactly do you market a movie like this? Like it's part Kung Fu movie, part fish out of water Western. It's, it's completely insane. There's a whole scene with a brothel. You can't market this to kids. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times you can't see that 
campy charm when you're in it and it's something that sets in you know a, a few years later uh you know after after it's been released on dvd or streaming or you know whatever the whatever the home market thing is and you you get to live with the movie for a little bit um uh but you know i i like uh, we've already sort of talked about the the dialogue and the the acting and i think i think the stuff that feels niche with that adds to the the campy charm but i think the i really think this the special effects do too you know like they um like i i don't know that john carpenter was ever really interested in what the newest coolest type of special effect was i think he just was interested in making sure it looked real and good you know and certainly with a lot of his movies now that technology has changed and things are different a lot of times you look at it and it's like all right like i can see how you did that but like i think even within that he wanted to make sure it 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 looked the best that it could you know with like we we talked about this a lot with the thing with you know bubble gum and duct tape and you know <laughs> gelatin and real fire and stuff like that you know like i think I think this movie was the same kind of thing that it was like, let's like, let's pull out all the stops and, you know, have a guy inflate and explode, <laughs> you know, have this weird little ball of eyeballs rolling around and stuff like that, you know, like, let's just make sure it looks cool. And I think that, I think that still holds, you know, 30, 40 years later, whatever it is. Oh, the effects, I, they don't pull me out of it at all. So, I mean, in my mind, it, it if I'm watching the movie and it, it doesn't break my uh, suspension of disbelief, if it doesn't bring me out of the moment, then the effect holds up. And I don't, I don't think any of these effects are bad. Like the, the floating eyeball guy, it's probably what, claymation and I guess green screen? Like I'm not exactly sure how they even did that, but I think it looks fine, right? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like it's... There's, there's a lot of movies that do suffer from the effect doesn't quite pull off anymore and it brings me out of it and and i don't mean to talk bad on him you're working in the 70s you're working with what you got you know it's right you know it's it's hard um but yeah the effects in this movie i i think they all hold up the the exploding guy is ridiculous um but it's not like oh this looks fake although i don't know what that would look like in real life well with with, I don't know how to make with that not fake but with practical <laughs> effects usually you find that something doesn't hold up if they just didn't have the budget to do it in the first place you know like mm-hmm. if they couldn't throw money at it to make it look cool then it's you know years later it's not going to hold up um but with computer <laughs> stuff usually it doesn't hold up when the technology changes you know like uh like I, I go back and look at stuff like the mummy and stuff like that. And I'm like, Oh, that, that mummy doesn't look good. <laughs> that looks bad. <laughs> yeah. The, I thought the effects looked just fine. I mean, the, as good as the effects like that can for, for its era. And it didn't bother nothing, nothing about it really bothered me in the least. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I thought everyone was, yeah. The, thought every, everyone was great. And everything like the sets were real cool looking. None of the sets looked super fake. Yeah. Uh, like sometimes you'll see that and like oh, you're talking about with you get like blu-rays or something once you start seeing something stuff in super high definition you start really seeing the cracks in the scenery and now the sets were all great too yeah that, that's what I, I was gonna say the same thing about the, the sets like the you know the um 
the effects um like i said like i think i think carpenter you know really uh sinks himself into what's going to look real um with the with the sets like some of those were so elaborate and it like it actually reminded me a little bit about the conversation we had about like i guess one of sean's other favorite movies which is flash gordon right like some of that stuff we were like oh like this part was a little campy but like oh my god like they must have spent so much money on that you know that big crazy hall that they were in or that weird place where they were fighting or whatever you know like i feel like this was the same thing like lopan's lair like doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense like like it, it, both in practice or like geographically but like it sure is cool like it sure is ornate you know all those buddhas that get knocked over or like all that weird stuff in the dungeons and like you know like like i think it was more just like let's create let's create a world that's crazy like let's the doesn't matter if it makes sense like let's let's create a almost like a video game or a you know a, a like a role playing game or something like where you got to go through this you know crazy place with tunnels and halls and you know things like that like i think i think lopan's so, lair is just cool so i agree entirely uh, the the fact that we're saying how great these sets were and that they they hold up and all this all this positive stuff that's wonderful. I'm going to point out that if you had to verbally describe one of the main set pieces, one of the main sets uh, was like that big, I don't know, hall that David Lopin is like having his wedding in, right? There was a giant Buddha at one end and a giant. Uh, some sort of crazy creature statue at the other end, and, and they were like, both neon. John, like they both, they were <laughs> covered in neon lights. Like somebody from the 1980s that makes those signs for the bar windows had to sit there and trace the giant three-story Buddha in neon lights. Which one? It, that glass is not easy to work with, so it's a, it's a feat. And two, the fact that. Something that could only be a 1985 interpretation of what Chinese or ornamentation should look like in the 80s was put on screen at all is wild. And the fact that we're all sitting here saying, yeah, it holds up pretty good is wild because that shouldn't have worked at all. <laughs> it should have been something. It should have been an eyesore that pulled you right out of it. Doesn't make any sense. Ancient Chinese cult living under modern day, you know, uh, little China. Of course they're going to trace their Buddha in neon lights. They're going to do what? Why would they do? None of this makes any sense. But you you know And when you're watching it you're like, "Yeah, this is about right." You, you know what though? I like I had this exact thought before I I watched the movie because like again, while I while I love this movie and it's something I've, you know, I I have a long relationship with, I probably haven't watched it in in a couple years. And I was like Am I going to watch this and feel like it hasn't aged well? Like, this is an 80s movie called Big Trouble in Little China that stars Kurt Russell. Like, <laughs> am, am I going to find that, that, that like, you know, in, in the world of today that this hasn't held up? And I, I feel like it does hold up, and it holds up remarkably well. I think for a lot of the reasons that we're, we're talking about with, with Kurt Russell's character and this, like, fish out of water thing because um you know because he he is not 
uh, as Chris said, the the white savior. Like he's he's along for the ride. Like he's you know kind of the the bonehead buffoon. Um, and uh, and and I think because they can let the story play out and not have him, you know, not have him uh, take it over. Um, like I mean, like I think even at one point like the the sort of false bravado thing that he does like really adds to it because I, I think at one point like he, he's like everybody listen to me you know and then he like turns to somebody else and he's like what's the plan <laughs> you know like, <laughs> like like he has no goddamn idea what he's doing or how to do this and like how could he like how could he fight like people that are trained martial artists like he's a truck driver um you got that whole scene where there's like this elaborate fight that plays out and your two main characters watch it from inside a truck. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they really, they really make the right choices to, I think, you know, to, to, I, I think make, make this movie work. And, uh, and, and uh, when I was watching it, I, I, I realized the first scene really goes a long way to do that too, right? Because, uh, so what I read is that that first scene with um, Egg Shen and uh, the police. Who? Oh, no, it's not. Yeah. Oh, was uh, it, was that Deep Throat? Deep Throat, thank you. Or was yeah. that, or was that Mulder's dad? No, no, it's not Mulder's dad, it's Deep Throat. It was Deep Throat? It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was Deep Throat. So, sorry for everyone listening. The I don't know the actor's name, but he played Deep Throat on the X-Files, and I knew that immediately Sean would make that parallel. But anyway, um, <laughs> that, uh, he, you know, Egg Shen and that, that detective guy. Um, uh, uh, so I read that the studio made John Carpenter put that scene there because they wanted something that was going to cement... Kurt Russell as the star, you know, like, hey, you gotta, you gotta set him up as the star, because it was supposed to just start with, uh, with with Kurt Russell in the truck, um, on the on the CB, um, which then him in the in the truck in the CB would have bookended the movie. It would have been the first scene and the last scene, but they they wanted him to add this other thing, and it it when you think about it, it really could have been played for laughs. It could have been like. You know, shut up. Don't talk that way about Jack Burton. Jack Burton's a hero. You know, him talking up Jack Burton. And then you could have cut to him in this truck acting like a total idiot lunatic. But that's not what they did. They they kind of they kind of make the they kind of make the joke. And then the scene goes on. Right. Then the scene becomes a little more about Egg Shen. And he's like, oh, you know, magic. And he does the, like, thing with his hands or whatever. And then, you know, when you do get the next scene with with Jack Burton in the truck, he's not, like, he's not, he's not playing it for laughs. He's not, like, doing a, like, a, a idiot comedy thing. Like, he's just, he's just doing this, like, self-mythologizing. This whole, like, you know, like saying his name all the time you know what old jack burton says the check is in the mail right like so like it 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 kind of sets him up as this um as this pompous guy not as a you know not as a, a an idiot um and like and like i think it's funny too because like 
Egg Shen's talking about, like, he's a hero, blah, blah, blah. And then he's, like, in there with, like, a sandwich in one hand. <laughs> you know, like, all this stuff like that. Like, it perfectly sets the tone for the movie. But, like, it was, I feel like it was kind of like John Carpenter being like, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to add this scene, but I'm going to use it to make my point and not your point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, it's... I think I, I read that too that the studio made them tack that one on. Uh but yeah, I it's not a necessary scene, but I, I think he does use it to his advantage. I think it adds to the movie. So it's once I, I read that it was clear that it was tacked on. But I like to okay. think that after this movie Well, so also like Egg Shen's like, Don't talk about Jack, he's a hero, blah blah blah. But it's like was Egg Shen just making shit up to to like to take the heat off of him and Chinatown because like Jack was not the hero <laughs> like he didn't even know what was going on I mean I guess I guess he did kill Lopan like that's like that's like the only thing he accomplished after missing once um, that wasn't even really all that intentional if I'm remembering correctly right well, David Lopin throws the knife at him, he catches it and throws it right back. Right, right. Which was awesome. Which which also was a nice bookend, because, like, multiple times he had already said it's all in the reflexes. That might be one of his first lines in the movie, where right, he's like, right, right. you know, I, I never drive faster than I can see, but other than that, it's all in the reflexes. There's something about him, there was something about him in that fight that was accidental, and I can't remember what it was. I think I have just everything about him surviving in general, and that whole scene was, was very uh, accidental. Well, I like to think that that after that police scene that Egg Shen was like, I have to get out of I have to get out of Little China, the heat is on, and that then he moved to Perfection, Colorado and then was <laughs> opened a convenience store. Opened a convenience store where big underground worms attacked. <laughs> and then I would also say that like in that somewhere in that time he found time to like have a family and be the grandfather to like three white boys who were ninjas, but I don't think it works with the timeline. You don't know how old he is. <laughs> oh, another interesting fact I read was apparently not only was it supposed to be a Western originally, but uh, Wayne, the the Wang Wang, the 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 sidekick slash star of the movie. I don't, depending on how you want to approach the situation. Uh, apparently his role was originally uh, intended for, uh, for Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan. Yeah. Yeah. And he couldn't get Jackie Chan. They went with this guy. Thank God. Well, what I can't imagine somebody else doing it. What I, what I read was that, um, like they, they wanted Jackie Chan, uh, and Jackie Chan had done a couple movies in America, but only maybe like two. And like, he still couldn't speak English very well. And they, you know, they they, oh. they tried it, and then they were like, it's not going to work. And then they, you know, they offered it to the other guy. And that then basically, like, Jackie Chan went back to, you know, went back to China for a while. And it was like, well, screw America. And then, you know, it was, it was, it was then probably another couple of years before he broke in, like, really broke into, you know, the, the movie market in America. That, like, this was, this was kind of supposed to be it, and, like, he kind of wasn't ready. Huh. Wild how that worked out, huh? Yeah. It, I guess it would have been very different because, like, then Wang would have been actively, like, I mean, like, Jackie Chan can fight, you know, like, he would have been, 
he would have been actively matched up against some of these martial arts guys. Yeah, you, you saw Wang do a little bit of fighting. Uh, there's a couple scenes where he's doing backflips or whatever, but I think if it had been Jackie Chan, that would have stolen more of the focus. Because how do you not, if you have Jackie Chan running around climbing up walls and and doing ridiculous, you you can't not focus on that a bit as the director, right? I mean, yeah. Like you have this, but I, I I don't think it would have been. I can't imagine this movie being better. So changing the focus at all seems worse yeah. in my mind. No, yeah, I think even if trying to play him as the sidekick, Jackie Chan is such a presence that it just wouldn't have worked. Well, it wouldn't have worked the same way. Like, there's also a lot of really impressive uh, martial arts, you know, um, stuntmen and actors and stuff in the movie. Um, uh, the guy that the guy that plays uh, Bob Bob Genghis Khan. Um, Bob Genghis Khan. Right, right, right. He yeah. was in here too. Um, and like that like that guy seems majorly skilled. Like he was doing some of the like coolest fight stuff of the movie, I thought. Um oh, yeah. so you know, like like some of those people that were sort of like high ranking members of the you know, of like David Lopin's like henchmen or those other guys um that they were fighting in that alley or whatever. You know, I mean like I, I like I have to believe that if if Jackie Chan was in it, he would have been like more actively matched against some of those people that like, like really had some of the, the big moments in those fights. I'm I'm glad it wasn't Jackie Chan. Cause you're right. I mean, how do you not, how do you not have Jackie Chan hop out of the truck and get involved when he's going to, you know, bounce off 10 walls, which is impressive. I like Jackie Chan movies. Like he's, he's, uh, he's fun to watch, but it wasn't the right thing for this. Right. Yeah. I think it just would, I think it would have changed the, uh, entire feel of the situation because this guy was he was he was perfect because he was like ultra competent sidekick but not so but he wasn't so charismatic like uh, Jackie Chan that he would have over you know, like overshined uh Kurt Russell or even been a one to one match for him you know they just it was so perfectly cast the way it was as long as we're talking about the same characters, because I'm bad with names. <laughs> we're talking about that guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That Kurt, guy. Yeah, okay. Wang. Kurt Russell's sidekick. Yeah. Wang. Yeah, I thought that it was, he, he was so perfectly cast in that position, because, like, he does, at first, before you even see him fight, like, it was a really fun reveal that he was a, quite the competent fighter, at least for me watching it. Like, I just kind of assumed, going into the movie, that I knew what the 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 power dynamic was going to be here and then he just starts whooping ass and it's like oh 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 okay all right then <laughs> that's that's not what i expected and, and it was very cool but his presence was still very like he thought the world of kurt russell's character you know he thought the world of him and that he needed his help which he so clearly didn't but <laughs> <laughs> that was just kind of a really interesting dynamic that he thought he did well, and you know what um like so so many of this movie's lines are so quotable um you know Sean already has rattled off many of them and I feel like when when we were in high school we used to quote this movie a lot just cuz it was it was such a big fixture in our lives um but uh uh there's that one I I I used to quote it sometimes just because it was one of Jack Burton's lines and they are my favorite, but there, there's that, 
I think it's like before they it was before they charge in for one of the fights, uh Wang proposes a toast and he's like to the to the army and navy and the battles they've won, um these these colors will never run or something like that. And then Jack goes, May the wings of liberty never lose a feather and they all they all toast, you know. And like I think about it now, like the way that I had sort of been picking the movie apart this time, I was like, like is Wang just humoring him? Like is is he like like is he just kind of <laughs> fucking with Jack Burton? Like no, like none of these guys in it, it, that are that are part of the the crew that go in to take down Lopan are gonna like that toast is not gonna be meaningful to them. Like I like all right, I'm I'm sure they're all you know like. They're all uh, like maybe some of them immigrated uh, and and are from China and are you know immigrants living here, but probably a lot of them were were born in America. But like even still, you you toast something that was meaningful to your group, you know. Like instead, he's he's like sort of doing this cowboy toast or this like army general toast for for like Jack's sake. Like was it? Was it all to humor Jack Burton or like, I don't know. I just, it, it, it kind of struck me this time. <laughs> so I would say you're right, except Wang buys into it all. Right. So like at the, like he thinks he's a hero. Like you said a minute ago, like it, he looks up to Jack Burton the whole time, despite the fact that he does way more to progress his team's efforts during this whole, the, the fight and the, the adventure. Like, he sees him as this epic mythological character. So I think it's more of a, I, I think you're right. It's, it's very off kilter. Why would he be, you know, to the army and the Navy and the battles they have won? Like half the guys there don't speak English. They're they're You're right. They're either from China or I mean, first generation or whatnot. I mean, this is modern day, you know, I don't know, modern school systems that you know if they've been here a long time they probably would have some english most a lot of them didn't jack couldn't talk to them in a couple scenes so like why wouldn't he pick something more on on point for their culture their their mythology uh he doesn't he picks something that means something to jack i think he does it to look good in jack's eyes because he's looking up to jack right or or also that jack sense spends so much time in this movie mythologizing himself that then everybody else does too <laughs> yeah, yeah like he's maybe just they just sold it <laughs> yeah maybe they listen to his uh trucker broadcast on the cb radio the uh the the trucker broadcast really struck me this time too um you know just because I, I, like i feel like this movie and this character has had kind of a a reaching cultural impact just beyond, you know, just beyond it being a favorite of ours. Like, you know, obviously as we all talked about, it was the, the people that made mortal Kombat were like highly influenced by this movie. Um, but I, I think about, um, you know, I think about this character that, that, uh, that, that Kurt Russell is doing and how he based it on Clint Eastwood or, I'm sorry, how he based it on John Wayne and like how that does sort of seem like the perfect archetype for this, um, you know, this person that's too, um, too confident to realize that they're failing. Right. Um, but then I also was, was looking at him on the CB radio 
you know, mythologizing himself and doing this like trucker broadcasts. And I was like, ah, oh, that almost feels like like Star Trek or something. Like that almost feels like um, you know, Stardate, blah blah blah, you know, like like one like one person alone on this radio sort of giving almost nonsense information out to the world. And then I'm like, oh you you like you take those two things and you combine them and like that's Zap Brannigan. Like, 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 could that be based on on Big Trouble in Little China? Like, I don't know, it was just a, just like a weird thought I had. I, it's possible. <laughs> it's not far off the mark, that's for sure. the The other thing occurred to me when I was watching it this time, like, I'm not, I'm not up on my '80s trucker technology and how exactly it worked, but this isn't. This is pre-podcasts, right? He's not he's not sending a podcast out to the world, right? He's on a CB radio. And I don't really know for sure, but I assume like you're talking to somebody else specifically. Not not that other people can't like hear you if they're close or whatever. I don't know what the range on those things was. But like you never hear the other person, right? So then it becomes you got to start asking yourself, is he talking to somebody? Or is he just talking to himself? I know he's picking up the radio and hitting the thing, but like, is there no, he's just there? broadcasting other truckers. From what I've come to understand from watching movies, not from real life, that's like a thing that some truckers used to do. They would pick a channel and they would just host their own CB radio show. And like oh. the other people wouldn't call in and talk to him. He, they would just like monologue on a channel and you know, basically entertain other truckers. They would, like, tune into that as, like, talk radio, kind of, but it was for another trucker. Well, so the CB radios would reach that far? Because, like, you'd have to either be driving in the same direction as them, or you'd have to have a heck of a range. Well, yeah, I, mean, I don't really know how big the range is, but I feel like they are pretty big, because, I don't know, again, I don't, I'm not an expert, but I remember when we were kids, we had, like, one of those big conversion vans. And we had CB radio in that, and we could pick up all kinds of weird shit when we were driving in that car. So I have, I don't know, I idea what the range was, but it, it is my understanding that that is a thing that truckers did or do. Okay. And my very, very uneducated well, <laughs> uh, and, position and, here. And I think, I think the thing about CB radios and that whole sort of time frame is that like. It, it probably as far as the airways went it probably was kind of just like the wild west right like like there are stations you can't broadcast on because they are they are tagged for emergency like the stations that are for fire or police or emergency response you can't muck around on those channels but like anything else do whatever the hell you want like you know maybe there'll be more than one person talking on a channel but you know uh, you're you got a certain range, and then once you get past that, maybe somebody else is on that bandwidth, and they're they're talking to people in a different part of the country. Like I think it was just a free for all. It's like if you got a radio, do what you want. All right, I concur. <laughs> well, that says something about freedom in America too. America, freedom, do what you want. God damn right. <laughs> May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Oh, gosh. You said it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I had a lot more to say about this movie, but uh, I don't know. Somebody else talk. <laughs> it's, 
So I, I actually don't have a whole lot to say about it. As we were coming here, it occurred to me, I was like, I, part of me doing the research, I was like, I don't have a lot to say about this movie. It's, uh, it's my favorite movie of all time because it makes me happy. And, and I tried to peel off the nostalgia, and I said, would I still love it if I could do, really rip the nostalgia out of it? And, and I want to say, yeah. Like, as we watched it, I feel like it holds up. It's not just the nostalgia thing. Um, it holds up for a lot of the reasons we already said. Um, and, and the the one thing I kept coming back to was the, the, the screenwriting, right? Um, maybe it's, maybe it's Kurt Russell's delivery too, but the, the, the dialogue, there's so many one-liners and there's so little wasted. I, it's hard to think of two sentences next to each other in this movie that feel unmemorable to me. Like, they're they're walking they're walking from the one place to the other place to climb in a hole and and he 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 goes let me get under that umbrella come on jack a wise man likes the feel of nature on his face and then egg shen chimes in with yeah but a wise man has enough sense to get in out of the rain right or brave man likes the feel of nature on his face wise man has enough sense to get in out of the rain and like that's a fun little banter back and forth the very next thing 2 seconds later they're entering the the building where the hole is to go under the cave and I think it's Jack says he owns this is this is his building, and Wang goes, "He's a rich man. He owns the whole block." And he goes, "This place is a dump." <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's constant, even when it's not important. Like none of that stuff was super necessary, but it's it's constant dialogue. There's rarely a quiet moment in the movie, um, and it's it's just line after line that is funny clever or at least witty uh you're right sometimes it feels like a soap opera um but man the, it's the bit it's i used to fast pace the bit i used to laugh at so much is when they're like how are we gonna get into this building and he like takes that rotary phone and like goes in the oh, building God. with the phone and then he's like phone company <laughs> he's just waving it around like it's a badge yeah, it's brilliant it's brilliant the one the line that stuck with me more than anything else that just absolutely cracked me up was i don't even remember what they were doing but they needed to get like above them and they opened up like they, they broke a hole in the ceiling or they opened up something and they're like how'd you get up there he's like wasn't easy and that was the entire explanation he got nothing else that cracked me up so bad that was so funny. That giant thing comes out and eats that guy. What was that? <laughs> what was It'll that? It'll come out no more. What? <laughs> what will come out no more? And then they're just moving on. And he's moving on. Again, that comes back to what we were saying. He's just rolling with it. He's like, all right. Giant thing ate a dude, but it'll come out no more. Got it. Yeah. I also love when they, they drink whatever that stuff is that's, you know, that like Egg Shen puts his, his magic in there. And that, uh, you know, they're all in the elevator and they're like, I got a really good feeling about this. Like, I'm feeling invincible. <laughs> it's just, just they're, they're, they're all smiling and saying that. And if you look at Egg Shen's face in that scene, he starts looking down like this was some bullshit. Like, I think it was just some whiskey. Like, he he like looks up at them and smiles and then looks back towards like the floor and he's got this look on his face like I'm full of shit. There wasn't anything in there. <laughs> it's subtle, but it's there. It's they had a shot of whiskey and he told them it was magic, which it is, but that's a podcast for a different podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I mean like uh I I give the movie a lot of credit I think for, you know, for the way it it um you know, it, it like it, it's crazy because it's an 80s movie and and you know, by all accounts like a lot of the cultural stuff we should look back on and cringe, but like again, I think just the like the campiness and the weirdness and like the the way Kurt Russell plays his character, I think really you know, really make it have staying power. But like, I also think that like they kind of make Chinatown, or I guess it's because uh, what it's in is it San Francisco? They call it Little China, like instead of Chinatown. Right. Yeah. But in, yeah, and this movie's in San Francisco. Yeah, because I think Egg Shen says you know tour bus driver San Francisco Chinatown or something like that. But right. Yeah. Like I feel like they make Chinatown look real. You know, like I mean, like. It's not a bunch of like white extras in the background. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's all people who are like the dock workers and the, the, uh, you know, the people that run little stands and stuff like that. And I feel like, you know, you're seeing like the, the weird, like the, the, the crazy stuff that you don't see on the street, you know, like the, the, like, you know, the places people are living in, like in like back alleys or like the weird um you know the woman's just out on the fire escape chopping up a duck right yeah like you know like i i i think they you know i think i I think they were kind of like showing you the the chinatown behind the chinatown and like i thought that was kind of well done too um i always just you know and i don't give enough thought to how movies are made like i'll stop and think about special effects sometimes but like I know there's a whole, in, like, it's somebody's job to pick out sets. They're like, we should go film in New Zealand because it's going to look good for whatever, for Lord of the Rings. I always just kind of assumed this was, like, a lot of it was filmed in Chinatown. I mean, like, obviously, some of it's in sets and stuff, but, like, when they're driving around or when they're at those docks, it it all looks so real. I always just assumed they were filming in Chinatown, but maybe not. Yeah. How about uh, How about David Lopin's costume? Oh man. Oh man. Which David Lopin? Little old basket case on wheels or the nine foot tall roadblock? <laughs> yeah. Uh hey, what's that what's white the, coming out of his mouth? What's the actor's name? Is it J- James Hong? Like he's in like everything, you know, like Yeah, yeah that guy's awesome. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like Yeah, I mean he he's amazing, like, you know. You, 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 if, is, is he the bad guy in Wayne's World Two? Oh yeah, when they do he that, is, right? When they do that weird like kung fu scene that's like dubbed, and then and then like Wayne kicks him in the balls, and he's got like brass balls that drop down. Right, yeah, right. That's Wayne's World Two. <laughs> yeah, he he's um Tia Carrera's father. You know, he, he's uh her father plays her father in that movie. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's a, he he's brilliant in it. Uh he does a great job. Uh I bet if you looked on IMDb, that guy has probably been in like millions of movies. Well, I think that's what they say about Bob Genghis Khan, right? That guy's been in like literally I think hundreds of movies. Uh I know he was in Die Hard. He's one of the in the original Die Hard, he's one of the guys like I think he smashes a glass case and takes the candy bar out when they're like him and Huey Lewis are getting ready to shoot at the cops outside. 455 movies. 
James Hong has been in. <laughs> oh, maybe not that. That's a lot. Holy shit. Oh, and uh, he will be doing an upcoming Kung Fu Panda show. Or maybe that's already out. He's the he's Mr. Ping. He's the duck. Kung Fu Panda's dad. All right, if you say so. <laughs> I believe you. All right. Well, I think... Oh, uh, one thing we didn't mention, uh, the music in this. Was this was it also uh, John Carpenter? Did we talk about this last time? Did somebody say it was? Because Jin, I'm, I'm pretty sure... The, the main, the main riff that goes through this, the rock and roll song that's very mid '80s, I, I love, and I think it's perfect, and it, it nails this what it needs to be in this movie. And I, I think maybe I heard this on one of the things. I think Carpenter helped compose it, uh, and he also did the music for uh, what's the other movie, Halloween, right? Which is iconic, right? I think him and his wife composed that one, girlfriend at the time, whatever. Hmm. Um, and that's. I mean, for a director to also be composing the music that, I mean, the Halloween one is iconic, whereas this one might not be iconic, but I don't know. It, it freaking it nailed the, the vibe of what would Jack Burton come rolling into. It was uh, dead on. But yeah, that, I'm good. <laughs> All right, then. Wonderful pick. Wonderful movie. Thanks for bringing it to the table, Sean can't believe you've never seen it you gotta watch it one more time not necessarily with me but i'm telling you it's gonna be better on the second time through i imagine i will find time to watch this movie again probably when i feel the kids are old enough to see it once a week at the very least once a week <laughs> you're gonna have to watch it for at least the next five years to I catch gotta, up gotta, I gotta catch up <laughs> yeah all right well then i guess it's a it's about that time for our rc picks see a um, clock at C o'clock, we uh we should all choose movies and vote on them. Uh, who wants to go first? I'm ready. I got this. Do it. All right, Sean. So we just did one of my favorite movies of all time, or my <laughs> favorite movie of all time. Done. Period. The end. Big Trouble, Little China. Best movie ever. Time for my least favorite movie of all time. <laughs> my favorite comedy of all time oh. starts with the letter C, but I'm not picking it. No. <laughs> Because I've watched it a hundred times. I'm assuming you've both seen it a hundred times. I don't know how much I would have to say about it other than it's, in my my humble opinion, the funniest movie ever made. Uh, A way to dangle that in front of us. Yeah, that's not what I'm, uh, it's not what I'm putting forth. Cocoon? (laughs) (laughs) No. My, My vote, my pick... Is its sequel that I have seen, but I haven't seen in years. Oh, Cocoon oh, God. 2. Cocoon 2. No. <laughs> Caddyshack 2. Oh. Caddyshack, I think, is the funniest movie ever made. Caddyshack 2, I know I saw it. I kind of remember a couple scenes, but it has been at least five or six years, if not, if not a decade, since I've seen that movie. And I really don't remember if it's good. I don't really remember if, as a whole, that's a good movie. Um, the first one's a gem, but again, I assume we've all seen it lots and lots of times, and you know, so on and so forth. So, Caddyshack too. We'll see how she runs. Who's even in it? Uh, it's that guy with the curly hair takes Rodney Dangerfield's spot. He's a little bit shorter. Uh, his name is. He's a pretty famous comedian. His name is... Fred Safetyfield? Jackie Mason. No. Jackie Mason. That's the one. Thank you. 
Oh, it's got Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries. And Marsha Warfield oh. from Night Court. And, uh, and our favorite Jonathan Silverman from uh, Weekend at Bernie's, right? Huh. There you go. There you go. Again, uh, I don't remember much of the movie. If it's absolutely terrible, uh, and we do it, I'm sorry. If it's a gem and just gets overshadowed by its brilliant first part, then then hey, it that's deserves whole, the uh, second look. That's a whole different cast. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. Well, I'll try anything once. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen it because I can remember certain scenes. I just don't remember if it's any good. I definitely have not seen it. I've seen the first one, but I have not seen the sequel. All right. Uh, Paul, do you want to go, or do you want me to Crank 2. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, so I have, I, have the whole rest of the, I have the whole rest of the damn alphabet mapped out. I, uh, sometimes I sit, like, when I'm bored, I'm not doing anything, and I just, like, plug in movies with letters um so like uh, i, I kind of know what i'm doing for the next uh you know 25 weeks um but uh or 25 months <laughs> but um uh yeah see i had i had a hard time with i i picked something and then i went back on it and then i picked something else and um i don't know i think now i'm gonna go with something that wasn't on any of my lists um I just read I just read a thing the other day that uh Michael Caine is retiring from acting. Um which like also like good for him. Like he you you got nothing to prove, Michael. Like you've you like you, you've done your thing. You can retire. Um but uh yeah, I'm gonna pick a movie that I th- I think is I think is legitimately a really good movie. Um so uh in, in honor of Michael Caine retiring, I'll pick a movie that he's in, uh which is Children of Men. Oh. Don't know that I've seen that. I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's... Have you seen it, Paul? Yeah, buckle up. <laughs> I mean, if we pick it. <laughs> it's, it's so it's a slapstick comedy, right? No, not at all. Not, <laughs> not even a little bit. I, I know... I, I don't think I have seen it. I know a little bit about it. And I, I know it's not a slapstick comedy. All right. Well, then in that case, my pick is definitely going to be Clue because I've never seen it. Never seen it? Never seen it. At least I don't think I have. No, I don't think I've ever actually seen this movie. So there you go. Clue. Definitely great pick. That's my pick. Never there it is. seen it. All right. So then our three picks. How are you doing a movie podcast? Like every fifth movie, you've never seen Jaws or Big Trouble or Clue or. This is why. Rocky. It's, it's just for forcing God me to, to catch up on all the life that I missed out on. Uh, all right. So we're choosing between Clue, Caddyshack 2, or Children of Men. For some reason it's not going through. Your text isn't coming through. Paul voted for Caddyshack 2. I voted for Children of Men. I voted for Caddyshack 2. God damn it. Why did I do that? <laughs> Sean gets two wins in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and no offense, I kind of want to watch Paul's movie too, but I'm really in the I'm really in the mood for comedy these days. <laughs> now we're all watching Caddyshack 2. <laughs> this is going to be Weekend at Bernie's 2 all over again. That's true. I guess it is kind of on brand for us, so that's all right. Yeah, that's fair. All right, Caddyshack 2. Uh, I didn't look it up. It's got to be available somewhere. Probably I the definitely have it, in the, I have it in the Plex, but uh, yeah, for people watching it at home, Caddyshack 2... 
Let's see. Is it's actually been classified by the Geneva Convention as a war crime. <laughs> oh, that ain't good. Uh, let's see. You can rent it from YouTube, Apple TV, Vudu, Google Play, Redbox, and Amazon Prime. So it doesn't seem to be streaming for free, but it is available in many, many places for $3. Okay. It's fair. It's findable. Yes. Readily available, as all classics should be. And again, we're we're making we're poking jokes. I really don't remember. It could be great. It could because be. if if it was an A minus comedy, it would it would absolutely be forgotten compared to the first one, right? Like the first one is iconic. So if you come up with a, a solid base hit after somebody hits a grand slam home run, nobody remembers. You know, it's like, not that Rotten Tomatoes is the be all end all, but this ain't looking good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, maybe it's terrible. What what do we got? What's the tomatoes given it? Uh, the tomato meter has it at four. <laughs> out of a hundred, I believe. <laughs> out of, out of five hundred. <laughs> and the audience score is only 17. Wow. That's actually impressively low. Four? It's not great on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's two. Uh, is a 10% tomato meter and 41% audience score. So this movie is less than half as good? This <laughs> weekend Bernie's, Bernie's 2 was twice the movie this is, according to both the tomato experts and the audience. <coughs> oh, what have we done? We're going to need a big old bottle of whiskey for this one. <laughs> Me and Karen are going to get loud drunk and watch we this. We have made a mistake, and I'm sorry, Greg, but it should make for a pretty fun show. <laughs> oh, God. All right, well, there, there you have it, folks. Caddyshack 2, coming soon to a theater near you, which is a part of the Geekade Podcast Network, and if you'd like to get in touch with us to share your comments, movie suggestions, or whatever, you can send us an email at mail at geekade.com. You can also be found on most social media outlets and the official, excuse me, Geekade Discord server, all of which can be found in our show notes. If you'd like early access to this podcast and several others on the Geekade Podcast Network, check out the Geekade Patreon link to in the show notes. It helps keep this show running uh, month after month. There you go. And our site shiny and clean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time in a theater near you. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earthquakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. What's he, he do, Sean? He Caddyshack 2. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, he watches Caddy Jack too. He says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. I can take it. We'll see if we can. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>